Hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we analyze pop culture through the lens of race or gender and sometimes both. I'm your host, Julia Washington, and on today's show, Ivana Robinson is back and we, y'all, we're talking about the Cheetah Girls. Cheetah Girls 2, to be exact. Welcome back to the show, Ivana. I'm so happy you're here. For those of you who um, have been around a while or are new, Ivana was here in season four and we talked about Whitley Gilbert. And now she's here to talk about Cheetah Girls 2. Woohoo! Which is. Can't wait. I know. It's so exciting. And then, but like when you, um, when you're like, we have to do Cheetah Girls 2. And I thought at first I was like, I'm going to make this girl explain why two and not one. But we'll get into that in a moment because we're going to do a quick summary for everyone. And if you've been here a minute, again, you know the drill. We pull this shit from Google because that's what everyone relies on for their information. So what is Google telling us? Google tells us a teenage vocal group whose members are also best friends continue their crusade to become a top pop group. One member decides to enter the group in a Barcelona music festival, and the girls are thrilled. It's Viva España as they set off on the adventure of a lifetime. So that's Google. This <laughs> is pretty accurate. Yeah, I agree. This film stars Raven Simone. It was released in 2006. The first Cheetah Girls movie was the biggest Disney Channel movie to hit until High School Musical showed up, which I love. And I kind of hate that High School Musical knocked him out of the way. Um, it was directed by the legendary Kenny Ortega. And the first scene is full of just high octane energy. I actually was a little surprised that I did find reviews because I wasn't sure because it's the early 2000s and it's Disney Channel. So you just don't really know. And the New York Times yeah. actually gave us a review. So writer Virginia Hefferman had this to say. In the first Cheetah Girls, which was the Disney Channel's biggest original movie before a high school musical, the four considered themselves divas in training. Now they're international superstars in training, complete with handsome, soulful Spanish groupies and a home turf rival Marisol, who is played by the rising Mexican pop star Belinda Peregrine, I think is how you pronounce that. Various jokes and plot points turn on the leaning, turn on the learning and bungling of Spanish and English. It's clever to set the world world American imperative how to accommodate the Spanish language in Spain itself. A gentle intelligence informs this and other themes of the Cheetah Girls too, end quote. Okay, so first I need you to tell me why Cheetah Girls 2? I mean, the easy answer is it's just better. Um, it's more fun than the first one. Um, I think for me personally, it has to do with the setting of them being oh. in Spain, being in Barcelona. I have loved Barcelona since middle school. And so having this movie and, the, you know, their friendship set there and all of that really, I think, just spoke to, you know, teenage Ivana at that time. Um, I think it is the storyline that is relatable, but also like 
you know, they're not physically in like their high school or whatever, you know, like most of us are not getting to go on summertime trips with our best friends in high school to Spain for, you know, our dream thing. So I think it's sort of a good mix of like relatable, but also that sort of dream idyllic mm-hmm. situation. Totally. And I love how female focused this one is. Like, and I didn't watch the first one as a refresher because I mean, why? Um, But I love how this one's very much like um, the friendships are so important and then like the men are secondary. So like, yeah, sure. We've got these like cute boys who are like, hey, look at these cute girls. And then the girls are like, hey, look at these cute boys. But at the end, but through the whole film, the friendship is what matters. And that's like the whole through line, right? Like they're growing, they're changing. What does that mean for their friendship? And they handle it in a way that's like low stakes drama, which I really, really love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, during the, I guess, sort of like climax part, there is a moment where Raven's character says like my friendship you know is more important than the group or whatever and I feel like that's very mature for Mm -hmm. you know being a teen girl and having these dreams and big feelings yeah all around and so I felt like that was just a really mature uh, conclusion to come to and a choice for her to make in that moment totally look at Disney teaching us how to be Grown ass adults. <laughs> I mean, they weren't always, yeah. right? <laughs> like... No, no oh. they were not. And that's probably why Cheetah Girls, like as a franchise, I think really spoke to people, spoke to teen girls. Um, you know, it's the friendship element, but also it's the racial diversity piece. Mm-hmm. I think um, even the diversity and sort of the girls' different background stories. I think um, having different family structures and even though that's not necessarily a large part of it, I think even just mentioning that, speaking to that. Um, yeah, and I know Cheetah Girls was is, is a book series and I never read the book, so I don't know how much of that fully translated over, but I think it says something for Disney to have included that because I assume it came from the books. When I was doing research for this episode, I, it popped up, it populated. Um, as having been an adaptation and the woman who wrote the books is from New York uh Queens is she from Queens I don't recall um (laughs) but not having read the books either it did sound like she's it sounds like she's pretty pleased with the way that they turned this into a film and that says a lot well, it said a lot in 2006. Nowadays, I think authors are just excited to make a lot of money off of like a big celebrity taking their book and turning it into a movie, regardless of how it turns out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that must have had, I mean, one to keep, because I think, well, at least some of the the racial components and like that being a part of the story and, you know, that New York melting pot situation. I'm assuming had a lot to do with her writing the story. The author is Deborah Gregory and she's from Brooklyn. I was wrong. I misspoke. She's from Brooklyn. She went to the Fashion Institute of Technology, which I I love that for her. She has a BS in cultural studies. Love that for her. (laughs) But she was interviewed 
for a book called Black, White, Other Biracial Americans Talk About Race and Identity. So that really is a huge part of our life, apparently, it looks like. That's, oh, that's, okay, well, then I love that, Disney. Good job. Way to, way to keep it, it true, true to the author's vision. Like, <laughs> good job. Because I think yeah. it is kind of important. I think a lot of times, too, like, when we, when we think of, like, so you're in Mexico, right? And I'm in California, yes. which used to be Mexico. They like to forget. Um, yeah. And I think sometimes too, it's really easy to forget that like Latino is like the all encompassing word. Not that Spain, not that Spanish people qualify as Latinos. They're not. <laughs> but in terms of like the diaspora in North America, it's really, you know, I think it's really easy to get locked into a specific type of Latino storyline and, or a specific type of black storyline. And I think cheetah girls does a really good job at being like here's some you know here's a little different and and not a little different what's the word i'm looking for here's some diversity that doesn't feel forced because we're you know coming from new york and mm -hmm. sometimes stuff that's based in california you're just like are you guys just realize we're not like we're a huge state y'all like mm -hmm. northern california and southern yeah. california are very different like it's not the same. Anyway, that's not the point. Not the same. Very large state. Um, but I think not even just them being in New York, but the fact that they're set in a like a performing arts high school, mm -hmm. because that is probably one of the only places where at this particular age that these four girls would um, come into contact with each other. Because outside of singing, they are different socioeconomic statuses. They are, you know, I think coming from different parts of the city, have other interests right, that they kind of focus on outside of that. And so without that piece of it, bringing them together, they wouldn't be, you know, together. Cause I, I know we love to talk about like friends and how like it's in New York and why is there no diversity? And it's like, yeah, but also those particular white people were definitely just hanging out with each other yeah. <laughs> in very specific settings. Absolutely. So I were don't know that it's that far off. I know. Were you the one I was having that conversation with? Was that you and me? Where I was no. like, yeah, because, you know, it's, I think, like you, it's like, you guys, why is anyone shocked that they're like, why are we shocked that it's all white? They're, they're never gonna, like, look at how homophobic they are. They're never going outside of their bubble. No. Not once. Like the the closest they get to diversity is like Monica working at an Italian restaurant. <laughs> Which even then, you know, some Italians. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. Um, I was rewatching, so. I was rewatching Julia Fox on Z-Way, and she and they were like basically talking about how Italians are like the black people of white people. And I was like, why did they cancel Z-Way? <laughs> Probably because she said that. <laughs> anyway, it was interesting. But you're right, them being at a performing arts school. And I think that's a thing too that doesn't really exist in 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 like the part of California that I am in. I know like Southern California has performing arts schools, but you know, it's not really, it's not really something that exists outside of a, of a city that doesn't 
have a large entertainment factor to it either. Mm-hmm. I think that definitely sets something different. Entertainment Weekly threw their hat in the mix of reviews and had this to say, quote, yes, it's a bit ridiculous watching four calculatedly multiracial girls lip sync to peppy songs about changing the world, but even in a saccharine version of girl power or to quote the cheetahs, growl power is better than other tween bait options like MTV's The Hills that teach girls to put their boyfriends first. The cheetahs at least have a message and messages are always easier to swallow when accompanied by a well choreographed dance number, end quote. So I actually really loved this comparison because the cheetah girls in the hills, Laguna Beach, all that stuff, that's all the same time frame. That's all the same period of time. Mm-hmm. And so I love that they, that Entertainment Weekly, who's kind of a big one in the, hey, this is what you should watch industry, is like acknowledging like the Cheetah Girls are empowering. You can call it campy, you can call it cheesy, you can call it whatever you want. But the bottom line is, is this is probably better than watching The Hills, which full of reality show drama that even though it was a female-led show, it's still centered around their boyfriends. Like... Mm -hmm. Even though Lauren was the narrator and like you followed the girls in their day to day, they still centered all the men they encountered. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was where all of the fighting and the issues and the, you know, really still centered and, you know, Lauren being the girl who didn't go to Paris for her boyfriend. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, I had never thought about that comparison as someone who very much was a Hills girl, Cheetah girls, like into all of it. Um, but I never thought to think about like them in this dichotomy. Mm-hmm. So my question to you, how do you think this show, or excuse me, how do you think this film impacted how you view female relationships? For me, I have been obsessed with friendship since always. So that's probably a portion of why I love the Cheetah Girls is because anything that is like female friendship focused, I'm about it. Um, I also think because it's genuine friendship, like it's friendship I can relate to mm-hmm. in that um, they genuinely care about each other. It's yeah. not a proximity friendship. Yeah. I love that because, you know, when you have a proximity friendship, it's not always healthy, but it's convenient. Exactly. You you don't always see that either, right? Like, and going back to the Hills comparison, which I rewatch every summer. (laughs) Why? I don't know. Um, You know, uh, these girls are all still friends because of proximity, right? Like Lauren's friends Mm -hmm. with Whitney because they work in the closet together and, Heidi sees Lauren more often because they live together. And then once, you know, Spencer becomes a problem and she moves out, they don't see each other as much. So it's, there's no like true depth to, or connection to their relationship. It's all based on proximity. Whereas with the cheetah girls, they're like, I don't want to say, I hate the phrase ride or die. Like that's, I think something that I can't take anymore. There's a lot of things I can't take anymore, if I'm going to be honest. Um, but they all do actively like care for each other and respect each other. And like, you do get the sense that even if they didn't go to this performing arts, like once this performing arts school is done, they're going to continue being friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think to that point, right. It's New York. They don't necessarily live 
by each other. Right. Um, or, or convenient, right? They just need to be, figure out a way to get to the school. So the idea that they're also hanging out outside of that mm-hmm. means that like they're making it a priority. Um, also in the way that they do, you know, fight or argue with each other, like there are lots of disagreements, but you know, when one of them is in need, okay, let us put that to the side. Let us come together. Let us, you know, because they do have a bigger goal in mind, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in terms of being these, this huge, you know, pop group. I think it's a little like group projecty and like how much someone is really committed to the dream. Yeah. <laughs> like it sounds good and it's fun, but like we're also people at different stages and working through that as you're also, you know, working through puberty and all of that. Could you imagine, oh my gosh, that kind of pressure. And it's kind of like a parallel for them too, because look at how huge Raven has become as a star. I mean, she was always a big star. She like was thrust into the limelight at, I don't know, was she two or three when she showed up on the Cosby show, maybe four. But yeah. the point but the point is the Very same, young. she's a little girl and she's been in this spotlight her entire life and then, you know, becomes a Disney darling. So the parallels there too for, for the actors of like, the pressure of becoming pop stars and then still also maintaining like some version of normalcy. I can't even imagine. Like I struggled through adolescence without added pressures. <laughs> yeah. It was really hard. Um, I don't, I don't know what my neighbors are doing, but uh, anyway, um, I think about that because, you know, you have Raven who was a star and, you know, is, is extremely talented two of the other members are 3LW members who is, you know, an R&B group, which I think is an interesting transition because they were out there as this music group, as sort of older, quote unquote, right? Like Raven was very much came up in that sort of Disney Mm -hmm. vein of things. Um, Whereas Adrian and Keely were out here doing a totally different thing. So I think it's interesting for Disney to bring them in and kind of regress their image almost. Um, But I think what helps is like, yes, okay, it's, you know, it's Disney, it's singing, it's whatever, but also like they are all, have proven their talent in general, right? It's not like they needed Disney to be this thing, which I think sets them apart from other Disney franchises a little bit. Yeah, that's a good point. Disney's an interesting one though, too, because I was watching a TikTok because that's how I take in my entertainment anymore. Um, I forget, was it maybe it's the girl? It's not the it can't be the girl from Victorious. One of the because that's Nickelodeon. One of these like early 2000s childhood stars has a podcast, Vidcast now. And she had the sidekick from that so raven on i'm it's you know we're going on almost i know what you're talking about have you seen i know what you're talking about i've seen the clip it's um christy carlson romano thank you played ren on even stevens and she was interviewing annalise vanderpoel who played chelsea in that so raven even stevens that's it because you know what i'm I'm, I'm gonna be be honest with you they all all these little brown hair girls that were during nickelodeon disney primetime era of the early mid 2000s they all look the same to me (laughs) Yes. Sorry. <laughs> or I'm not sorry. I don't know. 
you're not wrong. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So for people listening, the clip is essentially tell me her name again. Cause we're going on almost 20 years ago from when all this shit happened. So the host is Christy Carlson Romano. The, the, I guess the guest is Annalise Vanderpool. Thank you. So the guest, Annalise Vanderpool, is basically telling the host, you know, that So Raven wasn't originally that So Raven. It was originally centered around a white girl. And then it turns out that Raven's clearly funnier and better at this. And so they, but there was concern about whether or not a black girl could pull the lead of a show. And anyone who's watched that So Raven, like when I saw that clip, I was like, how could you ever doubt Raven Simone if you've seen that? So she's so good. She's such a talented force. And when she showed up on Blackish as um, Dre's sister, I was like, thank you, Jesus, because like she's she's got such talent and whether or not she wanted to be in the industry, I don't know. I hope she writes a memoir one day because I'd love to know the inner workings of her life. But she's just so brilliant and she's got all these great little bits about her and her acting and the way that she does perform. So to hear that story and then the initial, for me, my reaction was, of course, Disney doesn't want to put to center a black story. Of course not. But I also kind of appreciate that they were like, well, it's very clear that Raven's better than everybody. So she should probably be the lead rather than doubling down and being like, we're going to stink to our Mm -hmm. guns. So like, good job, Disney. You did one thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cause can you imagine if she just continued to be relegated to the sidekick? And they would, I mean, and, and her career would have probably been so different. And who knows how that would have impacted her emotionally? Because how hard is it when you know that you're the more talented one, but not being given the chance? Like, it doesn't matter that you're both in the same room and you're still not being given the chance. So I just, I hate that that kind of thought process existed in that era and still kind of exists today because Black Panther went through a similar hurdle. Mm-hmm. Um but they they had the people that were involved had the had the wherewithal to say you know what we can do better because that's funny raven's clearly talented (laughs) the most talented one in the room she's such a great comedic actress like with the use of her voice and her body and yeah all the things. And then, like I said, when she showed up on blackish, I was like, this makes perfect sense. This, I cannot imagine any other actress who could play Dre's sister. Um, and I think she had already come out at that point. So I really loved that they, um, wrote that as part of the script for her because then she's getting to actually and truly play a character that represents, you know, that's a part of the LGBTQ community as she is. Mm -hmm. And it just, I don't know, just like, girl, write a book. We need to know. I need to know everything. It's okay if you want to admit to spill. I know. It's like, it's okay if you want to admit the Cosby years until he's dead. I get it. But like, we need everything. You've been in this business a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Like, there couldn't, there just couldn't be another Galleria. Like, you need the energy, you need the talent, you need, you just, yeah. And there's also like a warmth about her too. Like, even though she can be very strong and comedic, you know, her comedic work is really like she's just gifted that way there's something that is about her that is very warm and I don't know if this is because I've been watching her since we were children or if it's just naturally true but like there's something about her that just makes me feel like I could just watch her perform all the time like she's just so Mm -hmm. she's just got she's 
in my mind, she's, this just makes sense for her because she's so naturally a star, like, you mm -hmm. know, like she's just star power all the way. Yeah. It, it comes off as very effortless. Yes. That's the word. Thank you. <laughs> she's very effortless. And I assume she's delightful. I'm just making up all kinds of shit now because really I just love Raven Simone so much. <laughs> yeah, I think no matter sort of like your age, like you have a certain nostalgia for mm -hmm. her work. Because even as a little kid on the Cosby show, she was just so freaking good and just had this natural like ease on stage. And it's so impressive when kids can be like that. And then conversely, you hear all these horror stories about stage parents. And I actually don't know that much about her, her family and her background um, when it comes to like how her parents were, but it just, you wouldn't know she didn't love it if she'd never loved it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. The internet has a lot to say because the internet has a lot to say. And there is talk on the internet that Cheetah Girls 2 is better than Cheetah Girls 1, which is literally why you were like, Julia, we are going to talk about Cheetah Girls 2 because it is better. And you said you could totally talk the whole franchise, but really it's all about Cheetah Girls 2. That's literally what you told me. <laughs> mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. You know, we've talked a lot about it already, but now I need you to stand on your soapbox and tell us exactly why Cheetah Girls 2 is the best. The best one. Yeah, the best one. One, it includes Raven because the third one did not. The uh, third one did not. I see. I didn't see the third one because by 2000, so this one came out in 2006. So my son was still like a toddler. So by like 2000, like eight ish, I was like, we were like moving in different, like, and I no longer had control over the remote control. Yeah, I definitely didn't watch it when it came out, but I remember being like, well, maybe let me, let me check out some clips of this. No. Okay, it's a foursome, four-part harmony. You need Raven, or it does not all come together in yeah. the same way. Um, it's set in Barcelona, which is one of my favorite cities, but I think at this particular time, just has a very wonderful air about it. And, you know, they get to do their little dance numbers, uh, different, um, you know, like landmarks and, and special uh, places. Um, they get to, you know, pretend they speak Spanish, which obviously Adrian Bailon does. Um, but that was a, a whole plot line of the other girl who's taken Spanish, but like, isn't all the way there. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so there's that, um, it's also a fun storyline with like their moms and like Lynn Whitfield plays, uh, Raven Simone's character's mother, um, so it's like you get some intergenerational relationships happening and, you know, she gets to reconnect with her dreams mm -hmm. and all of that, which I love. Um, and the music is better. Like the, the songs are catchier. They, they hit better. Like, I think they kind of found their rhythm together. Yeah. 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 I would agree with that. I feel like, and then I too, I feel like adding that sort of plot point of having, um, the girl from Barcelona being sort of like, not the rival, but like 
the potential Marisol, the character, the potential of her mm-hmm. coming in and replacing somebody, right? I think it was going to be Raven's character, right? Like, because Raven was going to leave. Um, I think that also adds to it too, because then it doesn't just challenge the group. It also challenges the friendship in a way. And then the fact mm-hmm. that they can like overcome that in such a healthy way. Like it's, you know, it's not, again, it's not laden with all this in- unnecessary drama. It's like, it feels like teenage girl. I don't want to say typical teenage girl. Cause that's not a fair statement because everyone's teen years are different. But if someone grows up in sort of a non-chaotic environment, this feels very true to the type of teenage girl friendship one would have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the storyline, like, okay, like there are parts of it, obviously, like we weren't going to Spain, we're not joining big musical competitions, but like in terms of the the friendship part of it, it is very relatable in mm-hmm. how they relate to each other in what happens when there is someone who connects with your best friend in a way that you can't yeah right and how that kind of shifts things um because it can feel and, really you know, scary I, for for when you see somebody bonding with your best friend because it's like well what what are they giving you that I can't provide like that's mm-hmm. I'm nervous and I'm insecure now mm-hmm and I think as they're also getting older, you know, going to talking about going to college and things like that, like you are also inadvertently having conversations about going off and doing different things, right? And so where does the group, where does this friendship fit into all of that? And I think those are, you know, regardless of sort of the, the childhood, right, or the adolescence you may have had, to me, I think that feels very relatable um, yeah. to a wide variety. Yeah. And I appreciate that they don't force anything either. Like it's like just a natural progression. I don't know. I keep saying it over and over and over again. How many times could I say this? I just really appreciate it. And it wholesome's the wrong word, you know, but it feels like there's an element of wholesomeness to it. Like, um, yeah, it's just, and I agree with you. I love seeing the moms in this one too. I think, cause I don't remember that. I don't remember if they were in the first, again, I didn't rewatch the first one. It's probably been 20 years since I've seen the first one. Yeah, they're in the first one, but I wouldn't say that they have their own storylines. Whereas in, yeah. you know, beyond being the mothers, whereas right. in this one, um, you know, Galleria's mom gets to reconnect with her love of fashion and was like apparently a designer before mm-hmm. she became a mom and kind of realizing what she has put on hold for all of those years and refining her love for it. And then, you know, um, what's her name? Chanel, Adrian's character, her mom has been in this relationship that I think was a plot point in the first movie or at least mentioned. Okay. Um, But they've been together for a while now and like he brought them to Spain. And so she's like, why has this man not proposed to me? He's clearly trying to put me as part of the life and, you know, dealing with having a, a child who is maybe not completely on board. Um, yeah, I with, actually with really, that relationship. I actually really loved how they handled that, especially when it all came together, when she walks into the room and she's like, Hey, like, I know that you love my mom and that you are looking at becoming my stepdad. And just the way they had that conversation just felt really, she's coming from a place of sincerity. She's coming from a place of fear. And then he receives 
all of it instead of like mm-hmm. doing some toxic trashy dude shit he basically reaffirms her and is like i hear you i get it i understand and then says some really comforting shit and you're just like this is how it's supposed to be done guys like can we have more of this like mm-hmm. I- and normally we're a spoil-filled show, but it's been over a week since I've watched the movie. So, so I'm a little fuzzy <laughs> on the finer details. But but watching that scene, especially being a single parent who attempted dating, like just watching this guy be like, hey, I love your mom. I love you. Your fears are valid. This is going to be okay. What can we do? And just, it was just it just felt like a really great way to model how to become a bonus parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I mean, throughout it, that's kind of part of it. Right. Is that Chanel's not very nice to this man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like he says the most innocuous thing, like, Oh, enjoy Barcelona. You got your Metro passes, whatever. And she's like, Ugh, look at him telling us what to do. Which, you know, former teenage girl also have a single mother as a, as a parent, I very much get, you know, yeah, that vibe. Yeah, um, yeah. but to also have someone who like he, to your point, he got it. He also did not, you know, take it personally, yeah. right? He still continued to love on her through all of her sort of, you know, brattiness, right? Through, through the yeah. And we don't see that a lot in pop culture. We don't see that a lot in, in television and film where the guys like, I get it. You are a teenage girl. I'm not going to make you feel bad about shit. I'm just going to provide love and comfort and support. And I'm here when you need me. And it's Mm -hmm. very rare that we see men be in that form, which is so upsetting because I don't think it's that hard. It's not, but I think another thing as you're talking about it that comes slight is he's also not a parent. I feel like in shows when you do see that it is someone who has like had a marriage, has had children, you know, mm-hmm. and so is trying to like bridge the gap of these two families. Yeah. Whereas this yeah. person, like it from based on it, he's been single this whole time. He's yeah. this, you know, rich, wealthy businessman who travels a lot. And so I think it also kind of fights what we would consider to be the archetype of a character yeah. like him, to be so open to being a parent um, and to actually be fairly good at it. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you for that. Sometimes Disney gets it right, damn it. <laughs> Which is and great. I think it's also a sign of like when you include different voices mm-hmm. in the room, right? When you get people yeah. coming from different perspectives um, yeah. to create the story. Yeah, I agree. I agree because it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel it like the camp, the kind of camp that exists in Cheetah Girls isn't the kind of camp that like reinforces weird stereotypes right? Like it's very Mm -hmm. much talking to that tween generation and then teenagers can enjoy it too. Um, Mm -hmm. and it doesn't, it does it in a way that doesn't make you feel like, like watching it again in 2023, I, it was, yeah, I actually think I want to invite my niece over and watch this film with me moment rather than like some of the older Disney films where you're just like, well, this is a movie we're going to have to wait until you're old enough to have this conversation uh-huh <laughs> yeah or like we have to watch it with these caveats right yeah, um, of, yeah. of certain things yeah and I wonder I was just thinking like being you know I consider myself a member of the Spice Girls generation yes. this is just after 
the Spice Girls, right? Because, and so I wonder like even how much of that kind of helped shape just from an adolescent perspective, mm-hmm. how we view the Cheetah Girls and this friendship and growl power. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that an interesting thought? The Spice Girls have, I man, there was so much misunderstanding in the household I grew up in about the Spice Girls. And then when I did exploration on my own, it was like, oh no, these, this is actually like, these are women I should potentially look up to. Like Mm -hmm. they don't put up, like they're doing some good shit. And then this podcast I listened to did a deep dive on all their memoirs. And then you're listening to them and you're just like, they held their own, like good for you. And, and that got overlooked in the nineties and two thousands in a lot of ways, which happened to women in the nineties and two thousands. Like that was just Mm -hmm. the theme where it was like, we're painting you as this true, like, I mean, we all lived through it. I don't need to recap it. (laughs) We're seeing, we're seeing a, we're seeing a reckoning happening now, which I really do appreciate because it's, we've created a space now where women can come forward and be like, you were trash to me. Cause here's what I was going through. And thanks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Like having social media, having, you know, at least for some people, just a better like feminist theory, like view. <laughs> yeah. Because I do think they're, you know, from a media standpoint, right. There are a lot of women who we're not treated very well. Most women were not treated very well and kind of got the short end of the stick. Um, And so now to be able to hear from them, you know, they get to tell their own stories and like the real perspective of things that were going on. Also having a more mature um, understanding of the Mm -hmm. world that we live in and the systems and the oppressive structures that kind of, um, yeah. And in all of the research I did for this episode, there wasn't really anything about Cheetah Girls where people were painting them in that light. So they're kind of the exception to that early 2000s teenaged girls and young women or, you know, manipulative demons, watch out. Like they don't really have that looming over them the way that some of the Mm -hmm. other female legends of the time do. And that's also kind of interesting to me too. And I wonder if it's because... Disney is so particular or and I think they are still particular, but they were more particular back then about their image and the people affiliated mm-hmm. with them and their image. Yeah. I, I would be interested to kind of, I guess, dive into that more and just see how that has kind of shifted things. Um, Which is why Raven needs I, to write a book. She does. Um, I, I would read it. I love a memoir. All right. Give me the, give me the dirt. All right. I want to know. Yeah. (laughs) Just thinking about, I guess, my whole like Disney evolution and thinking about how old these young women were and the idea that, you know, they did have an image before Disney, right? Which is just uncommon, I think, for Mm -hmm. that particular time period. And to your point, how Disney wants to mold people, particularly when they're in the movie franchise situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, look at Zac Efron. I mean, his full circle sort of, you can see, I mean, we're not here to talk about men, but he's the one that, that is kind of the most obvious to me because I did watch a lot. I did watch his transit. I mean, we all watched his transition, the high school Mm -hmm. musical Troy. And then, you know, the first movie sort of a sidestep from Disney. He's still a basketball player. And then he slowly Mm -hmm. 
further and further away from that. And now he's, you know, the guy. Well, no, wasn't his show on Disney or was it Netflix? It doesn't his matter. Netflix. Netflix, thank you. Is so, but the point is, is like he did a slow walking away from Disney and was man and managed to have some sort of successful something or other. You know, Raven, she's still. I mean, she was, like I said, she's on blackish, which is you know, own, which is done on ABC, which is owned by Disney. Um, so she still has like a toe in the water, but it is kind of, well, but then Raven's think, home. Yeah. That's, that's still on, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Right. But then also when I think of some of the other cel- stars from that era, I'm like, okay, so Vanessa Hutchins is kind of moved more into like a hosting situation. Um, cause that's what I really, uh, put her in now. Cause she's always doing the red carpets. <laughs> so that's how I that's... see her now. You know, I don't see her. I didn't even know that. Else. I was thinking of, um, she's got those, the, the Christmas movies on Netflix. The... Right. She does have the, the princess, the night prince, something about a, no, the princess, like like, the switch up or the something. Switch, the princess. People are at home are like yelling the name of the show at us, but yeah, there's like three of them, I think. <laughs> yeah, the princess switch, right? Like the princess is mm-hmm. switched again or something like that. Um, I couldn't even tell you what Sharpay is doing or any of the mm-hmm. other like. I see. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting how Disney kind of is like, here's your ecosystem that will cultivate you in and then who actually gets out of it Mm -hmm. well and I think that's probably a very specific not specific but calculated Mm -hmm. move right and and how to do that um because yeah you think about a raven who like she had you know a a, what's the word I'm looking for of like filmography I don't know, but she oh, had, you know, film, IMDb yeah, credits. Complete, yeah, she had, she had film credits. Before <laughs> Disney. Yeah. Right. Um, I think there's that aspect of like having already sort of proven her talent to a certain mm-hmm. extent, right? Mm-hmm. And then sort of breaking out of that or how you choose to kind of work through that. You have like a Zendaya, yeah. right? Like she's oh, technically a Disney she's, girl. She is a Disney darling. We watch Shake It Up all the time. I freaking loved that show. Couldn't tell you what Bella Thorne's doing. <laughs> Sorry, Bella. But yeah, like, so I think there is and there can be a way, but it's also like, who's behind you? Like, I yeah. would, and I guess this is maybe where I feel like Raven probably does have a supportive, you know, family unit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because to make that transition. And as far as I know, like did not have any sort of huge, you know, like, teenage breakdown like a Lindsay right. Lohan right. situation to kind of break out of that Disney thing right, right. it all seems fairly natural yeah everyone should go watch it it's on Disney plus it's just a good time mm-hmm. it is a good time it's just fun like I had it excuse me I had it on in the background and it was just like a nice casual viewing Mm-hmm. kind of situation which I really appreciate because I feel like there's so much stuff now a days where you just have, like you have to pay attention or you're gonna miss something and while I appreciate y'all wanting us to be smarter at the same time I'm putting together a puzzle 
I need something just talking at me. And this was an enjoyable, like, I still understood what was going on. I didn't miss anything. I Mm -hmm. walked away feeling good and liking the film. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where like, yes, it's Disney. So there is a lesson involved Mm -hmm. in it, but like, it's also not the point. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Ivana, I'm so glad you came back. I know you never know, right? You send out the things to people and you're like, who's willing to come back? Did they have, this is how, you know, they had a good time. They're willing to come back. (laughs) No, thank you for inviting me. You know, I love pop culture. So I love listening to your other conversations. Oh, thank you. Um, You know, in this way, I don't have to be the listener yelling the titles of things or like, Yes. And another thing, you know, by myself, I get to have an actual conversation with you. Yes. I love it. Please tell everybody where they can find you and how they can support you. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm a life and leadership coach. Um, I would say come subscribe for my newsletter. It's fun. I do talk about pop culture things, Um, you know, life tips, trying to get more women out here living audacious lives. Um, so the link for that is bit.ly slash Ivana subscribe. I'll make sure Julie has that. Um, or you can just follow me on Instagram at Ivana Rundle world. And when you do follow her on Instagram, if something that she posts speaks to you, be sure to share it because that is an, also a really good and easy way to support someone's work and spreading the word that is literally no cost to you. And that's how we uplift each other and support each other. And pick apart the patriarchy one little snippet at a time. (laughs) I love that. Yes. Thank you. Do that. After we recorded this episode, Ivana reached out to me with more thoughts and I want to share them with you now. She said, I think Cheetah Girls friendship is so much more mature because they're mostly black slash not white. Black female friendship tends to be one more based in community and care rather than superficiality. And she's absolutely right. Individualism is a common is a concept that is really prominent in the major dominant culture. This idea that you must care for yourself and be independent and within the black and other historically marginalized cultures, community is undeniably important. Community is what keeps us going. Community is what supports us, not ourselves, the individual. Maybe we can do that. Maybe we're self-sufficient in some ways, but at the end of the day, it's the community that keeps us thriving and going. And while each cheetah girl has their own storyline, they are still connected and support each other. And that grief they feel when they realize things are changing, it's more than the prospect of the cheetah girls breaking up. It's the proposed prospect of their community changing. Also, I'd like to point out that uh, Raven's Home, as far as I can tell, is still on the air. They had seasons... Uh, six aired in 2023 and I did not look in to see if there's going to be a season seven but IMDB hasn't clipped their wings yet I also want to do a shout out to our Patreon pals Carly, Kelly, Tracy, Sarah, Natalie they are our OGs and Alicia they have been riding this jealous wave since we launched our own community. We host a live book club, we host a member happy hour, and there's a bunch of perks. And honestly, I'd love to see you there if you'd like to join. You can learn more about our community on Patreon over at patreon.com slash Julia Washington. 
we've revamped our Patreon recently. And if you don't know, we launched another podcast for our book club friends. Jelly Pops Book Club was born from this show and we cover book to screen adaptations as well. Our book club does meet once a month, which is a perk of our Patreon, but that doesn't mean you can't read along with us every month anyway. Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous is produced and edited by me, your host, Julia Washington. And if you are new around here, I'm a writer, artist, and podcast host based in California. And when I'm not hosting this show, I'm facilitating the Jelly Pops Book Club, pouring candles, or painting greeting cards. I'm also trying to convince my dog to snuggle 90% of the time. Sometimes she's down and she wants to snuggle, and sometimes she's like, girl, you left the house today. I can't hang. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Until next time, y'all. 